0: summer is here and we're as busy as ever at the dsr network our podcast schedule has expanded to include the dsr daily brief dsr foreign policy dsr politics the dsr spy show words matter foreign office with michael weiss next in foreign policy and the secret life of cookies to celebrate our expansion we're bringing you this special offer through the month of june membership is 50 percent off Members receive an ad-free listening experience, bonus content across all of our podcasts, an evening newsletter, an invitation to join the DSR Slack community, and more. To take advantage of this offer, visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code DSRexpands, all one word. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code DSRexpands. Thank you for your support.
1: 9, 12, 10, 28, 2, 23. This is Deep State Radio. Coming to you direct from our super secret studio in the third sub basement of the Ministry of Snark in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to the podcast. It's uh, the weekend as we're we're recording this, about to be a three day weekend. Uh, Happy Juneteenth to all. Do we say happy Juneteenth?
2: We do. We do. Good Juneteenth
1: to all. Yeah, it's happy. You check that out. I checked out. today. The voice you hear in in the background is the fabulous Dahlia Lithwick, who writes about the courts and the law for Slate. Hosts the podcast Amicus and is on TV all the time. <laughs> I mean, you should be an anchor on MSNBC now. The amount of time that I see you spending, I'm
2: there. holding out for CNN. Um, David, hi, I'm Dahlia. holding out for CNN. <laughs>
1: interesting, interesting choice. Well, changes are afoot. You could you could become the CEO at CNN. <laughs> Um, so, so there's so much to discuss about the courts and the law, and I'm sure everybody wants us to discuss some of the decisions and things that have happened this week regarding the former president, and we'll get to that. But uh, uh, the Supreme Court watchers have been watching the Supreme Court with bated breath, counting down the number of outstanding cases. And I think as of you know yesterday morning there were 23 cases, and they 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 just did a few of them, and and they only did two middling ones today, wasn't that true? I mean, yeah, I I mean it's
2: they're way behind. I mean they've got basically uh, effective Friday morning they've got 18 cases to hand down in the next two weeks, assuming they want to end the term by the end of June, which is what they traditionally do. And uh, they didn't add a decision day. So we're going to wait till Thursday of next week to get decisions. So I think they have some sense that they're going to get a whole bunch of cases out in the last couple of days of the term. And we can talk about why uh, it's so slow this year. But I think the short answer is that that I've heard corroborated from several places is there's so much anxiety still around the Dobbs leak last year that things are just not kind of clicking along smoothly. Put aside partisan differences and opinion writing, uh, there's just a lot of weird still at the court, and so it's just they're slow walking to the end of the term.
1: No, it's true. And Harlan Crow is a slow reader, and he has to approve all these things. <laughs>
2: So, just gossip. I know we have important things to discuss, but I will say that Justices Alito and Gorsuch were not on the bench today to hand down decisions. And I snarked in our Slack that they're probably on the like Harlan Crow mopeds tooling around some desert island. So,
1: well, it's, it's not impossible. Uh, we also know that they don't like to do more than five a day. Right. So, when you so when you get to you know the end here there's really not much time the two big ones people seem to be waiting for i've just blanked them one of, one of them is affirmative action right where people are expecting the worst right are you expecting the worst yeah. is it is it over for affirmative action i mean i'm we're gonna are we gonna cancel affirmative action for Juneteenth? I'm
2: gonna be uh, that that is why I knew it wasn't coming down today when everybody was on like standby. I was like it would be such epic trolling to end affirmative action in higher education for Juneteenth weekend, and they did not. I, I want to say one little precatory thing, which is I am no longer as comfortable saying as I was two weeks ago. X is over, Y is over, simply because, as you noted, we had two pretty big decisions come down in the last two weeks, and they were both not just surprises, but I would say huge surprises. And just briefly, one of them didn't kick the legs out from under Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act despite the fact that after oral argument, it looked like that was going to happen. And then this week didn't uh, end the Indian Child Welfare Act, uh, despite the fact that everyone thought it was coming. So something is different. This term, the sort of hashtag YOLO court, as my friend Leah Lippman called it, you know, that there was no breaking mechanism this time last term, something is pulling the brakes. And so Well, I was incredibly comfortable coming out of the oral arguments in both the affirmative action case and I think the other two you're thinking of are that independent state legislature case, Moore v. Harper, and that 303 Creative, which is the web designer who wants to be free to discriminate against LGBTQ clients. All of those cases, you came out of oral argument and you were like, "Mm, this ain't good. But something is happening at the sort of center of the court where We're seeing Brett Kavanaugh, Amy Coney Barrett, the chief defecting and voting with the liberal bloc in like not trivial cases the last two weeks. And so while I am still comfortable saying I think some of this is laying the tracks for the big boom on affirmative action, I do think that what I would have told you two months ago, David, which is all bets are off. They're going 6-3 on everything the way they did last term. I don't think I'm super comfortable saying that right now.
1: So let's take a couple of these, just in you know the in little snippets. Uh, let's take the B. Indian one first, or the the Indigenous American one. Gorsuch does one good deed a year. He seems absolutely committed to doing the right thing on on Indigenous people issues, doesn't he?
2: That's right. He did the right thing on Bostock too. You may remember a couple of years ago, um, in a big LGBTQ case. And so he does have some of these pet issues where not only does he do the right thing, he kind of does the best thing. You know, he ends up writing an opinion that becomes kind of, you know, you could set it to poetry. Like he really feels in his bones this affinity for Native American sovereignty. And it's so, weird and compelling that he doesn't feel that for so many other vulnerable groups that he kind of gives the back of his hand. But this case could have been, I think, one of the most important cases of the year, because while nominally it addressed ICWA, the Indian Child Welfare Act, and that was this landmark statute that said, you know, after centuries (laughs) of taking uh, tribal children away from their families and out of their tribes and putting them either in these horrific schools or fostering them out to families who tried to erase their culture, uh, we would remediate that uh, by giving preferred placement. If you're going to remove a Native child uh, from their, their family, giving preference to their family and to the tribes. And it's a kind of gold star. Other nations have now imitated it in terms of trying to think about... Um, how to to fix when you've done this kind of cultural whitewashing. And the court was poised, I thought, uh, to do away with it and not only do away with it, but do away with the whole panoply of other tribal rights. Um, that have been protected from the founding and in a pretty astounding opinion that came down on Thursday, Amy Coney Barrett, writing for a seven justice majority, uh, Alito and Thomas, no surprise dissenting wrote this incredibly forceful defense of the Indian trial uh, of the Indian child welfare act. And also of, you know, sort of basic premises of tribal sovereignty and, kicked away some of the big constitutional issues. And uh, Justice Kavanaugh concurring signaled he might be interested in revisiting those. But in terms of a sort of blanket affirmation that this is a very, very protected relationship uh, between the government and tribes and that you can't kind of come stomping in and say, well, but I don't like this and therefore we're going to find all these constitutional pretexts to set it aside. This was a, a, a massive win for tribal rights.
1: Yeah. It's it's interesting. It's interesting that these, it's hard to draw cartoonish pictures of everybody on the right on the court as we are inclined to do. I, I still believe that Alito and Thomas, you know, are off someplace eating endangered species. <laughs> you know, they're, uh, you know, like the great Matthew Broderick movie, The Freshman. Where they, I don't know I if do, you I saw do. that movie, but you know that's that's a it's a classic. But um, Barrett and uh, I mean Gorsuch often is in that group, but Barrett uh, is, is not quite as predictable as everybody thought she would be. The 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 one who's sort of the least predictable, it seems weirdly, despite well-founded liberal animus, is Kavanaugh. Um, is, is, I mean, yes.
2: am I no, wrong? No, you're right. I, I think, I mean, I, you know, I was just um, revisiting for my show this week, um, Sackett versus EPA. That's the Clean Water Act case that came down a couple of weeks ago. That's another case that is just a catastrophe for environmental protection. But Kavanaugh votes uh, uh, with the liberals in that case and writes a really, like, poignant (laughs) defense of the Clean Water Act and a broad reading of it. Kavanaugh is the one who peeled off last week and joined the chief justice and the liberals to preserve Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. And then, as we just said, Kavanaugh votes, uh, you know, with with, uh, the seven justice majority in this Indian Child Welfare Act case. So something is going on. I'm not quite ready. As I said, there's 18 cases to go, but there is something happening at that quote unquote center of the court, which is Roberts, Kavanaugh, and Barrett, who were all in. Last year, for the most part, on these big, big swings, you know, irrational big swings uh, on Dobbs, on the environment, on uh, the gun case. They're not there this year. And I, I have this tepid theory that I'll see if I can bring it to a boil in the next couple of weeks that has to do with the weirdness of the ways in which Thomas and Alito specifically are behaving right now, and that it may be pushing that block closer to the center
1: should be interesting now the the, the pushback on that from um, America's Kavanaugh Watchers I can't believe that there is a group like that but you know there's a group like that uh, is that he preserved the Voting Rights Act but he also said here's how to blow it up in the future correct you know that it was a kind of a narrow a narrow step. Which, which, frankly, you know, feels a little bit like Roberts. You know, it's like, oh, I'm I'm open minded, but I'm actually not. Is is that
2: accurate? I, I think that's accurate. And he did the same thing, by the way, into the Indian Child Welfare Act case in Brakeen yesterday. He did exactly the same thing, which is come back to me, you know, and 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 bring uh, one of these constitutional arguments, and I'm here to hear it. So I think you're right. I think he is, in some sense, saying, uh. I'm not here to entertain, and both the Indian Child Welfare Act and uh, that Alabama voting rights case from last week were insane cases. They were brought by partisans. They were badly argued. Essentially, the argument was, but we have the court now, so we want you to rewrite the law in both cases. It seems to me we've said this a lot at Slate, that um, John Roberts, to the extent that he has a credo, it's lie to me better next time. You know, he didn't like the Obamacare cases because they lied badly. He didn't like the citizenship census question. do you remember? because they they hashed it up. He is an ideologue a principled ideologue, but he does not like carrying water for liars and bad lawyers. And I think both of these cases-
1: Well, that's what happened with Alabama. Exactly. I mean, the lawyers did a bad job. Well, not just that
2: the lawyers did a bad job, but what they were asking for was such a maximalist, insane position, which is essentially, again, what was happening in the ICWA case yesterday, that this is the court saying, don't take for granted (laughs) that you have six votes and you can bring me crap. And I think that the Chief Justice and Kavanaugh are kind of finding a position where we will continue to be as conservative as the day is long, but we're not going to let you be lazy and sloppy and take for granted that we will do your dirty work for you. And I think there's a little bit of lie to be me met, lie to me better next time happening with some of those Kavanaugh flips.
1: Interesting. But let's be honest, they're going to do the wrong thing on affirmative action.
2: I'm almost certain, based on how oral argument went, that they are going to do the wrong thing on affirmative action. And I am almost certain, based on oral argument, they are really going to do the wrong three thing on 303 Creative, the the case involving the web designer who wants to be able to discriminate and not run afoul of the public accommodations law. So I think those two cases are going to be really, really bad.
1: Was this Is this the case of the web yes. designer who said, if somebody came to me and it hasn't happened, then... I would want to be able to discriminate. It's better. In other words, it's it, one
2: better than that. It, it's one more fanciful <laughs> than that. She's saying, I do web design. I've never done a wedding website, but if I decide to do a wedding website and if a gay couple comes, I want to be able to discriminate. So it's a double decker hypothetical. The court should never have entertained it. She has suffered no harm, but the court was absolutely solicitous to her claims. And just one little side note on that case, because it's important. There's nobody who's been harmed on the other side. There's no face of the other side because she's never turned anyone away. So if you compare this to Masterpiece, to Masterpiece Cake Shop, where at least you had the couple who'd been refused service, who had equal time, there's nobody to get equal time. There's one person, and that is the web designer.
1: Now, I... I'm famously a law school dropout, so I, you know, don't understand the law. It's very confusing, and it gives me a headache. But I thought that standing required that some harm had come to some that there somebody had been wrong that there, you know, that somebody had a stake in all of this, and that creating cakes cases about hypotheticals was a slippery slope to, you know, just. Having cases about anything that might happen in the future without any basis. Yeah,
2: I, I learned that.
1: But maybe I I'm learned r- that maybe in I'm law wrong.
2: school myself, and so did the justices. And the fact that you have somebody who has an entirely speculative harm, and uh, the court is, as I said, deeply, deeply solicitous of what might happen to her if she does these two things that haven't happened to her is such a kind of of how we think about, you know, standing in harm. But I think it's also, as I said, a way for the court to construct a narrative in which there's no other person who suffers any harm at all because nothing's happened. And so it's a way to tell a one-sided story. And, I think the other thing I wanna say is it's really, really interesting to me that the cases that have come down that you and I just talked about where there was like a huge shocking surprise are, you know, both in the in the voting rights case that we talked about from last week at the Indian child welfare case from this week, nothing good happened. It's not like the world got better. It's just that something disastrous didn't happen. In other words, the court didn't Decimate the last legs of Section Two of the Voting Rights Act. It didn't decimate tribal sovereignty and and the Indian Child Welfare Act. And so, for us to hold that as kind of counterbalancing, when there will be actual disastrous harms if the court ends affirmative action or allows um, business owners to discriminate against LGBTQ clients. So, I just want to do a little bit of level setting about what we are calling huge wins at the court. What are not what are, what we are calling huge wins at the court. The last two weeks is not getting punched in the face by the court.
1: Yeah. Now, clearly, the biggest win in the court happened in the Senate elections in Georgia, because we're now up to almost 150 Biden judges, uh, the most diverse group of judge uh, no- nominees ever, um, and that's going to make a difference going forward. Um, but let me switch the switch gears a little bit, because we can talk about Trump judges. But again, in the sort of contrarian mode of the conversation we've had so far, you know, I watched all the coverage of all the Trump arraignment stuff and the you know been the indictments. I've even been on it. I was on you know TV a bunch of times about the indictment being a national security issue. Here's the story that didn't get covered it wasn't a big deal i know i know first time in history and everything else the wheels did not come off the cart of democracy donald trump got indicted on some very serious charges he got arraigned he called for revolution in the streets 200 people of a varying degrees of intellectual dysfunction gathered with flags you know, in in front of a place in Miami. There wasn't really any reaction. Um, There were some idiotic defenses of him. But as each day passed and people started to seemingly read the indictment, they got a little quieter. They got a little more qualified. Essentially, the core of Trump's entire cabinet has come out against Trump in this case. Um, His vice president has said, let me wait and see his two chiefs of staff have, have sort of said this is very serious, one saying he's scared shitless. His attorney general said he's toast. His former Secretary of State, his former UN ambassador have come out against him. I mean, you know, I think, you know, America sort of gets a gold star on this one. Um, in the sense that, I mean, you know, I suppose a revolution could break out tomorrow. But the reality is um the system seems to be working. Now, we haven't gotten to judge Eileen Cannon yet. We haven't seen what she's going to do, although her first move seemed to be fairly normal. What's your reaction to all this?
2: Uh, you know, I'm always happy to bring the Eeyore, right? And I and I think what I want to say is it depends which system we're talking about. So there's no question
1: I'm looking around by the way, my office. There is a big stuffed Eeyore somewhere in my <laughs> office because as when I was a little kid, my, my dad called me Eeyore. Oh, I, so I've always I've always had an Eeyore. I will never be able, able to unsee
2: that image. My um my producer of my podcasts says you're not an Eeyore, you're a broken tigger, which is much, much sadder. <laughs> like, um <laughs> but but I, I think I wanna say this. And I, I wrote a little bit about uh this, this week, because I think there's like two systems at work here. There's a legal system and a political system. And I think you're quite right. The legal system held entirely. Everything was normal. It was uneventful. That's all good. I think it's not an accident, as you say, that anybody who knows anything about actual national security and what the charges were and how Donald Trump imperiled the Defense Department and national security at every level take it very seriously. That stuff is working. What scares my face off, David, is the infrastructure, whether it's Trump's opponents (laughs) for the GOP primary or whether it's this unbelievable polling that says that 76 percent of primary voters acknowledge these are serious charges and still think this is just a political witch hunt. So
1: no, that's no, no stop. Let me stop yeah. you there. Seventy-six percent of Republican yes. primary yes. voters. Yes. Sorry. Good. Good. Okay. Check. And Republicans are twenty-five to thirty percent of the electorate. Right. So
2: it's a small. You know, it's that's, a small. That's
1: poll. it's twenty percent of okay. voters. actually. That's fair. So um.
2: But but. But I just think I want to make the point, and I, and like I said, I, I wrote this this week, that there is a valence here, that the more legal trouble he's in, the more his political star rises. And I think we're trying to figure out the scope of that. I think we're trying to figure out when are we going to hear, not just from Congress, but from the Senate, <laughs> You know, when are we going to hear, like, no, actually, this is a criminal act. And and the other Eeyore-ish thing I want to say, we, I, I guess my first point is just, this is your off-ramp, folks. Take your freaking off-ramp and the number of people who choose to stand behind him and to just make, as you say, completely fatuous claims about the Bidens and how it's okay because the garage door doesn't lock, but the bathroom door does. That's a little scary to me. But the bigger thing I want to say is this. The reporting in the New York Times yesterday, Charlie Savage and folks talking about how he quite literally plans to take his Justice Department if he wins the election and use it against the Bidens, and that there is a plan enabled by the heritage people to qu- <laughs> become an actual banana republic where all we do is charge Bidens for being Bar- Bidens. That stuff scares me because I think that we are not taking seriously. That There is a huge number of people. I agree. They didn't show up January 6th style, you know, (laughs) with like flagpoles and weapons. That's great. Although as Amanda Marcotte at Salon wrote, like, what were they going to do? They weren't called to do something. They weren't going to chant, hang Jack Smith. So it wasn't quite apples to apples. But I feel as though we are missing the ways in which a political system that failed to call out the Republican Party January 6th has now moved to the place of saying that any charges against Trump will forever be deep state witch hunt and that that has become salient. That's become the way we talk about the Justice Department and law enforcement. That's a move in the wrong direction, and I don't want to not take it seriously.
1: No, I think you should take it seriously and look, you know, I mean I wrote a whole book about this. Um that, you know, the 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 reality is Trump wants to come in and be able to fire everybody. Put in only his loyalists and have the government do his bidding because he sort of thinks of himself as a as a as a little prince. But uh that the 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 all I'm getting at is um so far you know, the the Justice Department kept their head down. They didn't politicize. They investigated the case. I think they gave too much deference to Trump, if anything. And then they put out the case. And when Jack Smith came out there, he, you know, gave a one minute long opening statement, you know, to, to America. But it was very, you know, like the facts are leading us where we're going and no one's above the law and I'll see you in court. And it was very, you know, and and they said Merrick Garland what about that and he says we'll see you in court and you know so it it, it they're managing it if, if some of us too too slowly maybe but but they're managing it in an incredibly um uh appropriate way for a for a system of laws to work and whatever the rhetoric of the of the the trumpies might be the reality in those polls is almost all the democrats See what Trump did as disqualifying. And the two-thirds of the independents do. And if you take all the Democrats and two-thirds of the independents, the Republicans lose in 2024 by a lot. This MAGA stuff loses by a lot. Um, so I, 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 you know, maybe, you know, I don't know if you saw my column on Wiley Coyote. Maybe you, know, you did, actually, because you retweeted it. But, but, I, you know, I have the sense uh, that we could be coming to a turning point. Now, the one person, I don't, we don't have an unlimited amount of time, but one of the people who stands between us and that is Eileen Cannon, this judge in Florida who has almost no trial experience, um, who, when she was presented with these cases in the early incarnations, provided decisions that were so idiotic that when they were appealed to a very conservative circuit court, they essentially st- rolled up a newspaper and slapped her across the nose and they said you know nope that's not the way the the law works in america um now we're in a situation however and i, I don't weirdly you're you are and i'm like playing uh the the optimist here little mary sunshine or something like that but they, they, there is a uh, the law was brought under something called CIPA, I think C I P A, which is has to do with confidential information, and because confidential information is involved, I believe it allows the prosecutor to have an expedited appeal if the judge does something crazy. So, it gets you right from Eileen Cannon to the Eleventh Circuit. Do you see that as cause for hope? Is there anything before this weekend starts that I can do to get a gleam in your eye and a little optimism going for you, Diane? I,
2: I'm 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 gonna low key gleam at you. I, I think um I worry a little about what felt like wish casting earlier in the week when we saw people trying to sort of shame Judge Cannon into stepping aside, you know, saying having been, you know, functionally booped in the face by a very conservative appeals court and with the very serious argument that the appearance of impropriety is the lodestar here, she should recuse. I mean, she didn't just make a mistake. She invented a category of ex-president that gets all sorts of privileges that is not in the law. Like this wasn't an error. She didn't read a statute wrong. She, Rewrote the law to favor Donald Trump. That should be disqualifying. I was worried about all the people that were counting on her deep sense of self-awareness and shame, because my guess is that's probably not going to kick in. But I do think you're right. I think there's several mechanisms uh, for this to go to a higher judge, and that um, those are serious mechanisms, and that it is very possible. That either the appeals court or the chief judge uh, of uh, the lower courts takes this in hand if she gets way out of line. And so I think. What I don't love is the magical thinking that says she's going to really be chastened after what happened last time. I just don't think that's how she rolls. But I do think there are ways if she is slow walking this or keeping evidence, you know, out from in front of the jury or doing any number of things. And we should be clear, she can really screw up this case. She can do horrific damage as a trial court judge. But I think you're right. There are ways to vault this over her head. And I also think this is the gleam in my eye that is for reals. People think this is a one-shot deal, like this Mar-a-Lago case is everything. But I think you and I both know this case can be brought in D.C. There is reason to believe that Jack Smith could charge uh, uh, felonies around Bedminster, and what we now know from the indictment, right? This is not the only game in town. And so I think it's really easy to believe that he blew it, He should have done it in D.C. He did it in Florida. It's all over, baby, because he drew the wrong judge. But I am pretty confident that in addition to Fonnie Willis, in addition to Alvin Bragg, in addition to a whole bunch of other stuff that's coming down the pike, I think there's probably going to be more Jack Smith action, not just on January 6th, which will happen in D.C., but even on documents. I don't think this is a one-shot deal.
1: See? I thought, fi- you know, the weekend's about to begin, and I've finally gotten you to um, be bubbling with uh, 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 optimism. Uh, I, you know, I think in terms of Florida, however, there is something canny here. This will be my last question, and then we'll wrap it up. But if he wins in South Florida with Eileen Cannon as the judge, And he must have calculated this um, because he thought he had such a strong case. It's going to be very hard for people politically across the country to say this was a rigged environment. This was unfair. You know, we we heard Lindsey Graham say earlier this week, oh, you can't bring a case in. Washington, he, this is the former chairman of the judiciary. You can't bring a case in Washington against a Republican because they will always lose because of those awful people in Washington. And you know, you, the, the same thing was said about New York with the Alvin Bragg case. Um, and I'll leave the racism and anti-Semitism underlying that aside for a moment. I, I do think there was a, a, a rationale besides venue in a legal sense, but venue in a political sense, that makes trying to do it in South Florida um, sound, if bold.
2: Holy cow, you're that's really smart. No, it's true. I think that I hadn't thought of it, but that is, you're exactly right. Nobody is going to say that this is a jury of latte-sipping, you know, oat milk, avocado eaters, uh, who were, you know, dead set against him. And by the way, that's how he, you know, blew off the Eugene Carroll jury, right? The unanimous E. Jean Carroll jury was, and they were not, by the way, Manhattan jury, uh, but he blew them off as such. And I think you're that's incredibly uh, uh, savvy to say that, you know, to win this is to end this in some sense. Um, but I do think, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but I do think we are going to see Jack Smith make more moves in other jurisdictions. And I just don't think that people who are heartbroken that Eileen Cannon can end democracy as we know it with a couple of rulings on evidence. I just don't think that Jack Smith walked into this knowing he had a decent chance of drawing her as a judge and thought, yeah, well, we'll just maybe we'll just lose in her court.
1: I, I totally agree with that, and I've seen other people who know more than I do assert that. And and as you say, it looks like Fannie Willis is, you know, locked and loaded and it. And it also looks like uh, uh, there'll be a January sixth case of some dimension coming. Uh and and by the way, and in addition to the the other venues that you might see. Pertaining to classified documents, DC and, and Bedminster. There are other venues you might see on electoral fraud, Michigan, for example, and others. Um, so, um, I, you know, personally, my my breed of pessimism is runs to this is going to count out Trump. DeSantis is odious in the extreme, and is not going to be the candidate. One of these other midgets who we just don't, uh, uh, you know, it's, you know, candidates that we're not reckoning very highly, um, uh, is uh, is going to be the candidate, and people are going to go, oh, we dodged that bullet, and they're going to embrace a lot of the policies of Trump and DeSantis, and we're going to, you know, it's the sort of the Glenn can put on a fleece and. You know, make make Trumpism seem a little more like country club Trumpism, and and that'll be more acceptable. Um, and I worry about, I worry a lot about that.
2: I worry about that, and I guess you know, I, I felt like we were really soaring there on an emotional high. But if we're gonna, if we're gonna, if we're gonna go down, <laughs> let's go. When when they go low, we go lower. But I think maybe I would just say that I think. For me, again, and I'm looking at this through a legal lens, so much of that is bound up with the kind of disaggregating politics from truth, because I think that the number of people who are willing to now lie to say fake news, to say, you know, the way DeSantis is saying, like, oh, no, we're not banning books, you know, like to to, to continue to use the Trumpy move about mastery of truth. That as long as I can get you to repeat something false, like I'm the leader, that stuff is exponential. And in the hands of any of those midgets, as you say, the idea that we have a country that doesn't trust the press, that doesn't trust government, that doesn't trust science, that doesn't trust law enforcement, that doesn't trust teachers, that doesn't trust doctors, that stuff feels, at least for me, unfixable. And so I think at that point, you've laid the groundwork for whoever the next guy is, because now we have completely unloosed the connection between truth and politics. And I think more than anything else, again, through the legal lens, if we don't have shared truth, it almost doesn't matter who they run because they're just going to lie.
1: I agree. But I think the next guy is Joe Biden. And I think the Democrats are going to do better than expected in 2024. And well, and thank you for your great
2: thread. Your great, great, oh. great Twitter thread on yeah.
1: On the vice president? Yep. Yeah. Well, she's great. I just I mean, I didn't expect it. we I was a, invited to this meeting where there were a bunch of st- her staffers that were briefing us. And so we sat and they briefed us. And then she walked in the room and she spent an hour talking to us. And I was like, you know, this should be a TV show. If people <laughs> saw her she just went issue after issue and she would say you know somebody would say well what about fentanyl and she was off to the races on that reproductive rights um, you know small businesses uh, china ukraine and she was extremely fluent engaged and uh, uh, i'm you know to, to, you know i i i've, I've always been i frankly a supporter of hers but i i was um, I was kind of dazzled. I, I have to be. I have to be honest with you. Uh, anyway, well, look, I always love talking to you. I learn a lot. You're very wise. Um, uh, you maintain my, you know, exuberance. You keep it down. You know, I'm obviously, <laughs> you know, crazy, wild-eyed optimist. Um, and uh, um, I hope we will be able to continue uh, uh, these conversations soon.
2: It's always a treat to be with you. Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you, Dahlia. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And we'll be back with you next week with a full, uh, well, to use the term, Dahlia would like, slate of uh, of 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 our podcast. But listen to Dalia's, uh as well. Um, and um, uh, follow what she does, because she's the smartest person out there on this. Anyway, thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.